Blessed are those who dwell in your house, Lord, for they are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is found in you, whose hearts are set on seeking you. We would rather be doorkeepers in your house than live in the neighborhood mansions of the wicked. For you alone are God. You alone offer forgiveness and life and hope eternally. And so we're coming after you today. We're listening for you today. And we ask you to break in, to break through into our hearts, into our minds, into our church, into our communities. Would you break through? For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. We are going through the book of Acts in the Bible. And the, and the book of Acts in the Bible is the stories of the church being formed by the Holy Spirit. So it's the stories that immediately follow Jesus having died, risen from the dead, and ascended into heaven. And now how does, how does the group of believers that are his followers, how do they start forming into groups? And today we're going to talk about the church in Antioch. There's actually two churches that are in Antioch. Uh, we're going to look at another one in a couple weeks, but those are two different Antiochs. This one that we're talking about today is in modern-day Syria. The one we're going to talk about in a couple weeks is in modern-day Turkey. And the church in this Antioch is considered to be like a prime example, a great example of this is what a church should be like. This is a church where God really used it to have impact. Of all the churches we could look at in the Bible, this one stands near the top. And along with that, a few weeks ago, I mentioned that while the entire Bible is God's word to us, there are certain passages that can become like defining of us as individuals or shaping that God keeps bringing to us over and over again. And I believe there are also certain passages that, that can be true of for a church as a whole. And if you ask me which passages do you think um, are true of a church as a whole, at the very top of the list would be a verse in what we're going to read now. And in fact, I would say what we're going to read now would be at the top of my list. I might be wrong. But for me, this, this passage has tons to say about who God's calling celebrate to be. And so I'm going to read through the whole passage, and then I'm going to go back over it and just point out, here are the characteristics of this church in Antioch, and hope that the ones that God really wants to impress on, on our hearts, on us as a church, that they would stick. So with that, I'm going to start not by reading what would typically be seen as the passage about Antioch, but what sets it up. I also said a few weeks ago how in the book of Acts, it's kind of a straightforward storytelling for a while, and then there's this stoning of Stephen, he dies, and it starts to go into multiple stories back and forth, just like if you're watching a movie, I'm going old school, Empire Strikes Back. You know, for a while you're with Luke Skywalker and R2-D2 and you're going to Yoda, but then you're flashing over to Han Solo and Chewbacca and they're in the Millennium Falcon. And the, it's one story, but it's going back and forth instead of just one way through. That's what's happening here. So I'm going to read what sets it up and then explain. And then there's, there's, but there's chapters in between. If you were just reading straight through your Bible, it would be, this would be interrupted. But this is all about the church of Antioch. So Acts chapter 1. 8 verse 1 says, on that day, and this is the day when Stephen 
was stoned and executed for the way he was following and talking about Jesus. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Verse 4 says, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So, that is what's happened. There's this, been this scattering. There's been, the church has been based in Jerusalem for years. But now as Stephen is executed, as Saul is arresting people, they're scattered. And then what goes on from there to tell the stories about uh, Philip and Peter and what's happening in Judea and Samaria, and also about Saul who went from um, persecuting the church to becoming a follower of Jesus. And then we get to verse 19 of chapter 11, where it says, Now those who had been scattered, so it's picking right up from what I just read, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church, and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Then the next chapter goes on to talk about a story about Peter, but then it picks back up from what we just read in verse 25 It says of chapter 12. It says, When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who was brought up who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. This is the reading of God's word. Now going back to this church at Antioch, we go to verse 19. I'm going to start back there. The church who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Now, at the very beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this is where Jesus, has, he's, he's risen from the dead, he's about to ascend to the heaven, it says he's been giving instructions to his disciples, and this is the foundation for the rest of the stories. Because he tells them, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. In another spot in Luke, it says, until you're clothed with power from on high. Then you will receive power, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So he says that. He says, I want you to gather. 
I want you to gather, and that's what they do. They gather and they pray. They gather in his presence. presence. They are growing in his presence. They're gathered. And then the Holy Spirit comes, and then they they go out to the streets of Jerusalem. And they, they go telling people about Jesus in Jerusalem. And for years, you see a lot happening in Jerusalem. So they got this part down. They gathered. They gathered and experienced his presence. They gathered and prayed. They gathered in their homes and in the temple courts. They gathered and they they saw signs and wonders and miracles. They gathered and, and heard the teaching of the word. They gathered and they did all that. And their numbers grew in Jerusalem. Then persecution broke out and they were scattered after years. So they had gathered, but they did not go. They did not go. But now they go, and they go to Judea, where a lot of Jewish people lived. A lot of people who knew what we have as the Old Testament in our Bibles, the Hebrew Bible, they knew something of God. And they they didn't know Jesus, they didn't believe in Jesus, but they knew something of God. So they, they went. The Samaritans, they knew less about God, or less accurately about God, but they also knew something about God. So eventually they get to Judea and Samaria. They have gone more into the region. They have gone a little bit cross-culturally. By the time we get to reading Acts 11.19, we have one story. Peter talking to Cornelius, one and his household, one story of non-Jewish people of non-Samaritan, of people who don't really have the background. And even that person was called a God-fearer, so he probably did have some sense of what the Jewish people believed. So they have gathered, and they have experienced this presence. They have gone to people that didn't know Jesus, but they've gone to people who did have the Bible, who did have the practices, who did seem most likely to maybe convert. That's how far they've gone. Now, here we are 10, 15, 20 years later. And Jesus said, you will go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. All people, all kinds of people. You'll go all the way. 10, 15, 20 years later, even when they go beyond Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, they still talk to Jews only. Not to all peoples, to Jews only. Verse 20. Some of them, however... Men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. They didn't just go to the people who were most likely to follow Jesus, to the people who already had some idea of God. They went to probably a pagan culture, a Roman emperor, empire-worshipping culture to people that didn't have the same grid of one true God. They went to them and they started talking about Jesus. Now what about us? So Celebrate Church was founded was founded with some specific things in mind. So there was a First Reformed Church of Knoxville that was closed down by our denomination because it had dwindled so small. And when they went to restart as a new church, they talked to people in the community. They, what kind of church do we want? And one of the things that as they planted Celebrate Church, one of the things that they wanted to most focus on is non-church people. Reaching non-church people. And Pastor Gary and the other leaders at the time, they made sure that was from the start, that was part of the focus. It isn't just for people who are in, who are people who are most likely to come and we're going to have a good kind of churches. We are going to go reach non-church people. People who don't follow Jesus, we're going to go. 
That was in the DNA at the start. And when I think about, we've had conversations about we, we were at two services and COVID, then we were still at two services because we wanted to be spread out, but then we went to one service. And several people over the last months have said to me, I just, I so love having one service. So great to have one service. And I get it. We get to see everybody. We get to, it's, there's more energy when the room is full and, and all of that. And all of that is good. But there is part of me that says, whether we grow or not in this coming year, we got to go to two services. We got to go to two services because what I don't want is us to be like, we're just happy. We like who's here. We're, we're good. Let's not change our church. Let's make it about who's here. And no sense of urgency of, there are lots of people that don't know Jesus. And to be really clear, I am not, I am not saying like, I'd I want to have a bigger church. One of my mentors and coaches said to me, people equal problems. More people equal more problems. Like, there's anyone who's saying like, yeah, bigger church, oh, eh, maybe not. But besides that, besides that, I want to make it clear, we're not trying to get people that go to other churches to come to our church. Uh, when New Journey Church here in town was, was being planted, somebody came up to me and they said, looks like we got some competition. <laughs> what? Well, there, did you hear? There's a church plant. Looks like we got some, some competition. I was like, we don't have competition. We have an ally. In fact, we have give, we get, we've given money to that church multiple times to New Journey Church. Help them with a building thing to help them. We've given money to at least 10, 12 churches in Knoxville. We've given money because they're not our competition. There is really one church in Knoxville. It's the church of Jesus. It's the church that's trying to advance Jesus' name and get people to know Jesus and follow Jesus and be touched by Jesus. There's one church. We have different churches who play, have different assignments and play different parts, but we're all in this together. There's one church of central Iowa. And Jesus is in charge of it, and we want all of his little branches of churches in Central Iowa to do well. But there are a whole bunch of people who are not following Jesus in Central Iowa. And we want to be part of reaching those people. We don't want to just stick with, well, the most likely to, or the people that kind of are, or the people that... No, whoever is not actively following Jesus, is there a way we can encourage them in? We can make his name known. That's what we want. i got to keep going. There's a lot more verses to this. Verse, verse 21. So the, uh, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. This is the verse for me. This is the verse, verse I taught on at Celebrate. This verse. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, the Lord's hand was with them probably means that there was power. There was supernatural power. There was a demonstration of God's realness. Somehow, in healing signs, wonders, miracles, I don't know what. But usually, the Lord's hand being with them has to do with a power. So they were speaking. They were willing to talk about Jesus to people who wouldn't have even have a grid for it. But they're willing to talk about him, to talk about the good news of the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them as they did. These are the only people, and they're not even named, the nameless ones, who are willing 
to talk not just to Jews, not just to people who know about the Jewish faith, but to anyone who, anyone, hears who Jesus is. Here's what Jesus is like. And the result is a great number believe and turn to the Lord. So if someone is asking, like, how do I get right with God? How do I have a connection to, to God if there's a God and if he's real? The first answer is, you can't. You can't on your own. I can't on my own. God had to come for us. He came, Jesus came for us to take our place. He died on the cross to forgive our sins. We can't do anything about the fact that we die, but he did. He rose from the dead, and all who believe in him will be able to be risen, raised from the dead. God is the one who does the main work. So on one hand, it's just coming to the reality of he's real, and this is what he's done for him. We believe. That's one aspect of it. But on another, asp another aspect of it is there is something we do knowing that reality. At the very beginning of Acts, they ask, what must we do to be saved? And the answer is repent. Repent. What is repent? Turn. Turn away from sin. Turn away from evil. Turn away from living a worldly life or a life just for yourself. Turn to Jesus. Turn to him so you can receive forgiveness. Turn to him so you can receive the power of the Holy Spirit, the, the life of God in you. Turn. And that's what happened here. Lots and lots of people, a great number, believed in Jesus when they heard about Jesus, who he was and what he had done, and they turned to him. They turned away from the lifestyle they had, and they turned toward Jesus. Going on, verse 22, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord, with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So now, the place where things really happened, where they really knew about God, where they really knew about Jesus, but they just hadn't been doing much going, they hear stuff's happening. And it's not just with Jewish people. It's with Greeks, too. It's with non-believing people, too. It's like with the pagans, too. They're like, we gotta find out about this. So they send Barnabas. And Barnabas, his contribution, he has many contributions, but one of his biggest contributions, his name literally means son of encouragement, he's just an encourager. He, he sees what God's doing, he's like, let's stick with that. I'm not coming down to be the expert to tell you, I'm just saying like, yes, stay true to the Lord, stay, stay with it. It could be tough, but stay with it, stay with it with all your heart. And he just encouraged them. Then he went and got Saul, from Tarsus, Saul had probably been there about seven years, and, and, he, and it says in verse 26, so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So Christians mean little Christ, or to be like Christ. And so they got the reputation that they were like Christ. And that gets me to thinking that Saul, who did know the Bible, the Hebrew Bible really well, and so could teach from, like, this is what God has been like. Here's the life of Jesus. Here's how these things go together. He probably did teach the Bible. But knowing what else he's written to us, he also just taught, like, so here's how you live. You know, follow me like I follow Jesus. 
Like what I'm teaching you about isn't just so you've got the right, all the right answers and the right principles. It's like, so here's how you know how to live. Here's how you know how to live with God. And so last week we started here with, with groups who are learning, like, how do you get freedom? How do you have more freedom in your life? The Bible talks about being free, and so we have groups meeting on Sundays and Wednesdays who are learning about freedom. Tonight we have people who are learning, what, how do I practice? How do I become like Jesus? We have the disciplines. People are going to be in groups. Learning, how do, what are the things I can do to help me connect to God and with each other? In a few weeks, we have people reading, like, how do I have a quiet time with God? We have just a few weeks to learn, like, and to learn and to try. What is it like to connect to God? What am I supposed to do? It's, these kind of things are being taught. This is what's being taught. How do we grow? How do we grow to be like Jesus? And this is a church where people, again, nameless ones, they're just like him. They so know Jesus, they so know his presence, as they've gathered, that they start to grow in his presence, and they grow to become like him. Now, verse 27. Here's where we get stranger. During the, not stranger like a different person that we don't know, like weird. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And it did happen. Verse 29, the disciples, as each was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. I'll get to the prophet character in a minute. But first, what I find strange is that here's what is taken as like, this is going to happen. There's a sense that this is from God, that we need to be prepared for this. There's going to be a famine. That's going to lead to like an economic depression. That is what's coming. We got to get ready for the economic depression. Now, if I hear there's an economic depression coming, what I tend to think I should do, but probably what I don't do, is to think like I should save more. We better, we better buckle in. We better, we better keep a little bit more because bad times are coming. They hear bad times coming. Remember, this is what happened in the entire Roman world. Antioch was the third um, most important, most largest, most influential city in the Roman Empire. There was Rome, there was Alexandria, and then there's this Antioch. Beautiful city, big city. It's, if they are definitely part of the Roman Empire. This is going to impact them, and their thought is, we better help people who live far away that we don't even know. What? We better start giving money. We be, you know what? Bad financial times are coming. We better start giving it away. Well, that's odd. But it's the heart of God to give first, to give in trust. I, I think I told this story a couple weeks ago, but I left out one of the details. So in about October or November, we were getting to the point where we're deciding as, as an elder board group, like, so what are we going to do? We're going to give. We have a certain amount of money we want to give. We want to try to give at least 10% of what comes in. We want to give it away. And so, okay, what... We got about six, seven, I can't remember what, six, seven, eight, nine, ten thousand more dollars to figure out how to give it away, to give it outside of Celebrate's walls or to, to food for the food pantry, that kind of thing. Not for, for, um, for how we're doing stuff here. And so, what the detail I left out was at that point, we had a $15,000 deficit in our offering budget. So, we're behind by more than a whole week of offering. And what the elders decided to do was to give, 
I think it was like over $20,000 away instead of the six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Now we're just going to give over $20,000 away. So we did that. We gave to different ministries. And then on Wednesday, I have somebody come in who says, who doesn't go here, who just gives me a check. Hey, here's, not me, like it was written to Celebrate Church, $2,500 for the food pantry. Oh, so the decision had been made the night before to give more money away, and immediately there's a check for $2,500. And then, later that day, I get to see what the offering was the week before, and it was the highest offering we had had that year. And then the next week was the second highest offering we'd had to that year. Our financial administrator says, that's how Christianity works. You give, and then more comes back. Um, thinking, for some reason, this kept going through my mind. There was a time where Camille and I, this is like young, young uh, couple, we're, we're, I'm going through the bills going like, it's a little, a little tight. It doesn't look like we have in our checking account what we need to pay the bills. And in that time, we had a sense that we were supposed to give money away to a family who actually made more money than us, but was going through a tougher time. And so we just decided, you know, we're going to go ahead and do it, even though we don't have enough money to pay our bills. So then we, we paid, we did it, we gave it away, but anonymously. They never knew who it was from. But I got to watch their face as they received it. And then, later that week, you know, back in the day when you had to balance your checkbook, you had a bank statement, you had the, you know, like this. And, uh, and I realized that I hadn't written in a deposit, like for a whole paycheck, a few weeks earlier. So we actually did have the money, and I didn't know it. Now, I can remember a lot of times of buying things, but those mainly go. Like, there's like an instant flash, they go. But this, these kinds of things, where I give and see the impact, where I give and see God resupply, those kind of things, they last. They build a faith. I can trust God even when it's hard. And just to be clear, what I'm not saying, I'm not saying like, so if you write out your check to celebrate church, you, I guarantee you're going to have a nicer house, nicer car, nothing like that. That is not what I'm saying. It's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying we can't outgive God, right? He is super generous. And when we give, we're blessed. And maybe it is like, wow, he resupplied. He, I got back more than I even gave away financially. Or maybe it's just in other ways. But this is a church who like right away, something that marks them is when they find out bad times are coming for them, they say, how can I help them? It's a special church. And I, we want to be a church like that. Now, if you go on to verse 13, verse 1, now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up. The, okay, those are the names. Sorry, I lost track of what I was doing. Prophets and teachers. We get the teachers. Do we have prophets in our church now? 
Remember this guy from Jerusalem comes down and he prophesies. So one of the, one of the ways that you prophesy is this is, like a, this is what's going to happen. More often in the New Testament, it's less about that. It's more like this is what's going on in your heart right now. This is what God's saying to you. This is how God wants to encourage you. This is a way that you might be realize like, oh, I need to make a change because someone speaks something that comes from God and penetrates our heart. But we don't have those anymore. Right? We have pastors. You know, we have pastors, which by the way is mentioned one time in the New Testament. Now, there's shepherds, which probably is also like pastors, and there's elders, and so there's, there's the idea of pastors is good, but in terms of like, so what kind of leadership position should you have? They had teachers and prophets. When we, often when you say the word prophecy or prophet in a, in around church, Christian church-going people, it's like the allergic reaction breaks out. Uh, uh, uh. Well... You know, that's because it can, get, it can get a little off. It can get off when people are, are thinking, like, this is what God's saying, and I'm going to share it with you. And God says this. It can get off. So can having somebody teach at the front. They can be off. I can be off. But at its best, what we get is, like, God speaking. Like, to my circumstances or to what's in here. It's like God's, it's like he's alive. It's like it's not just a history lesson about the guy that lived back there and died on the cross and somehow that's connected to what happens after I die. It's like, oh no, God's alive now. And he's alive now. And so what we need is both. We need teaching that's according to the scriptures. Teaching that's practical. How do we become like Jesus? And we need to hear the fresh word of God. How is he communicating to us? Sometimes it feels very, so natural that it doesn't even seem supernatural. It's just that it's like, man, that was from God. And I sure hope that that's what we experience every week here, but more than that, every day. I hope somewhere, someone is, is experiencing through people at Celebrate Church, God's talking to us. It's like God sees me. It's like God cares. It's like God's directing me. It's like he's alive. It's like I'm connected to him. That's why we need teachers and prophets. We don't need to call them prophets. Let's just all prophesy. We don't even need to use the word prophecy. Let's just all be open to like God can speak through us. We can hear from God. Uniquely, because we're all wired uniquely, but how about everybody can? That's what's partly true are part of what the Antioch Church is about. So to review, the Antioch Church, people shared about the Lord Jesus with outsiders. Shared about Jesus with people that some people think, oh, they never think about you. They don't want to talk about you. They would ne-. No, we're going to talk about Jesus. Not just the leaders. It didn't say the leaders went around sharing. It's all, nameless ones went and talked about Jesus with people who didn't know him or weren't following him. The Antioch Church, people were encouraged there. It was a place of encouragement. They were encouraged especially to reign true to the Lord with all their hearts. In the Antioch Church, people were taught to be like Jesus, and people wanted to learn to be like Jesus. In the Antioch Church, people gave financially and sacrificially. In the Antioch Church, there were prophets and teachers. 
It was word and spirit. In the Antioch church, oh, I forgot to read this part, but we've read it before. There was worship, prayer, and fasting. And people were seeking the Lord. By the way, I think, as I don't know if anyone signed up for today yet, and we were only trying to cover Monday through Fridays, but we have had people fasting ever since January 3rd. Almost every single day of it, it's been multiple people fasting. So thank you for those who are trying to learn to fast together. But ultimately, it was about seeking the Lord. And then he gave direction. In the Antioch church, the result is a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And the hero of the Antioch church is not Barnabas. He wasn't even there when it really got going. It's not Saul. It's not even the nameless ones. The hero of the Antioch church is the Lord Jesus. See, look at these things about Jesus. So I'm just pulling from the passage that I've just went through twice. They were telling the good news about the Lord Jesus. And then from there, it keeps talking about the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. But it's always the Lord Jesus is who that, that it's talking about when it says the Lord. And so the Lord Jesus' hand was with them. And people turned to the Lord Jesus. And Barnabas encouraged them to remain true to the Lord Jesus. And people were brought to the Lord Jesus. And the other thing about all this thing, about what the Lord Jesus, like Barnabas saw the evidence of what the grace of God had done. Not what the people had done, but what God's grace had done through the people. And then three times, it's this, a great number believed in the Lord. A great number turned to the Lord. That's before Barnabas showed up. It was a great number. And then a little bit later, after Barnabas has been there, it's like, and so when Barnabas is there, now a great number were brought to the Lord, like more. So it already was a great number who believed and turned to the Lord, and then Barnabas shows up, and now it's like contagious. It's getting contagious. We know about contagious. There's, there's contagious. There's contagious going on. There's people who aren't here because of contagiousness. But there's a contagiousness about Jesus, and so now a great number, and now a great number. And now a great number is, is taught by the Lord. It's like more and more and more people, and then this becomes the church. This becomes the church where they send Paul and Barnabas, where they send them, and now all kinds of places around the Mediterranean world, around the, the Roman Empire, people come to faith in Jesus, and it gets started by the people who are launched from this place. Because the DNA of this place is we are all going to reach out, and we are going to talk about Jesus, even to those who, who it seems least likely that they would want to turn to him. We are going to learn to be like Jesus. We are going to be word and spirit. We are going to be generous we are going to do this. We are going to seek the Lord. That's who we are. That's who we're going to be. And so when we've gathered, when we go, we're bringing Jesus with us. The presence of Jesus goes with us because we have gathered to grow in the presence of Jesus. And then we're able to gather to go with the presence of Jesus. That's who these people are. What if that's who we are and are becoming? People who just love Jesus who know Jesus is real. I'll have the worship team come up. When we, when we are trying to be people who help other people to know about Jesus, I think a starting point goes back to that verse that I just so love. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. I believe 
One of the keys to helping other people believe and turn to the Lord is that we keep doing it ourselves. It's not like a one-time thing. We turn away from sin. We turn away from evil. We turn away from, we, we've slid back. Okay, we just keep turning back to Jesus. We turn back to Jesus again and again and again. Let's pray. Jesus, we don't want you to be ordinary to us. We don't want our faith to become ho-hum. We need to keep encountering you and experiencing you and hearing from you and being touched by you. We need your hand with us. We need your heart for others given to us. We need you, Jesus. And so we just confess it. We acknowledge it. We are not all in for you. There are ways that we have dropped off for you, but we want to be all in. We want to follow you. We want to be the kind of people that are used to help others come to know you. Would you send your Holy Spirit to encourage us? Would you send your Holy Spirit to speak to us? Would you have your Holy Spirit sanctify us? That's like make us more like you. Would you do those things? And we are going to keep our eyes fixed on you, Jesus. And as a result, may there be a great number, a great number of people who come to know you as you really are. In this region, a great number of people, a great number of those that others wouldn't even think of, a great number of those who are overlooked or abused or neglected, been betrayed, who have all kinds of reasons not to trust that you're good, would we become a people who reach even them? May your love reach even them. For we pray it in your name. Amen. a name